What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. At my signal, unleash hell. Welcome, happy Tuesday. You are listening to News Talk Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom-loving news talk. Awesomeness. So glad you could join us on this Tuesday edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program. Our number, if you'd like to give us a call, we're always glad to hear from listeners just like you. 416-640-0200. Tom Korski from Black Locks Reporter will be on hand with this story, turns out all those claims of job creation by the Department of Industry, smoke and mirrors, baby. Smoke and mirrors, pure guesswork. They're throwing darts at a dartboard, and that's how they come up with their job creation claims. The government acknowledges its federal job creation claims are based purely on assumptions and estimates. Yeah. The admission came in an audit of a program intended to create jobs through defense spending. This was deemed not feasible. Anyway, Tom's going to have the details moments from now. A federal election is on the way. Doesn't matter if you want one or not. The spread of COVID apparently no longer matters either in the push for an election campaign this fall because... Justin Trudeau thinks he can win his majority back in a new poll by Nanosh suggests he can because the tool is frankly spinning his wheels. I I gave my dad a wrench one time when I was a kid as a present. And he just he looks at it and he goes, What am I gonna do with this thing? It's like I got no use for this tool. Imagine saying that to your son. Look, I don't blame him. It was old school. These old school Italians, they don't mess around, man. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have handled it that way. But but I kind of feel that way about this tool. Aaron O'Toole going nowhere in Atlantic Canada or Quebec or Ontario. He's eight points behind in Ontario. I know it's early. I know he just got there. Still nobody knows him. Shocker, I know. Who saw that coming? Said nobody. The good news is the Tories can start planning their next uh, party leadership race. Yes. So get those ballot shredders warmed up. Our political Nostradamus, Clinton DeVoe, is on the line with his prognostication. Uh, Clinton, you're on the line from Halifax, correct? Yes, I am. Good morning to you and your listeners. And good morning to you. All right. So what's going on? What are you hearing on the ground? Well, uh, it looks like there's going to be a uh, federal election, a snap election called in the next four weeks. 
the government uh, doesn't appear to be consulting with any of the opposition parties or any opposition members about the upcoming budget bill. Uh, and usually when that happens, it's a very strong indication that, uh, that we're going to the polls, especially when it's a minority government. Any trepidation? Uh, okay, go ahead. Is that a number of liberal uh, former heavyweight cabinet ministers, business liberals like uh, Ralph Goodale in Saskatchewan, uh, has essentially reactivated his social media channels and has become very active in the last uh, five days. Uh, and that is a strong indication as well that, uh, that Ralph is getting ready to, uh, to run again in Saskatchewan. Yeah, he lost last um, time, but yeah, okay. Yeah, and then, of course, the other issue is that the Conservatives, uh, Aaron O'Toole made a statement this morning that the Energy East uh, pipeline is off the table as far as he's concerned. Yeah, okay, he's a, mor- he's a moron. But let me t- let me ask you, you're out in Atlantic Canada, so what's your take on what kind of traction he's been able to make in, and what, what are you hearing out of Quebec? And as well, well, I believe that we're going to see liberal gains in the province of New Brunswick, and the reason for that for your voters, and, and I'm in Nova Scotia, not New Brunswick, but the reason we'll see liberal gains in New Brunswick is because... Um, if you have the federal conservatives telling New Brunswickers, I'm sorry, but uh, the Energy East pipeline is, is off the table, a lot of people in that province were looking forward to those jobs and the economic activity that comes with it. So uh, I believe that uh, we'll probably see some liberal gains. And uh, according to this, that you know, you've mentioned this poll, and there's been some other polls, uh, polling uh, firms that have been out in the field in the last few days, that also show that, uh, unfortunately, O'Toole just has not made any kind of uh, headway, and, and his messaging doesn't appear to be uh, working in Ontario when he uses the message, uh, uh, take Canada back. Um so, you know, is it early, though? I mean, uh, how much of a chance has he, has he really had? I mean, just to play devil's advocate here. I mean, he's only been there for, what, a few weeks? Well, yeah, I mean, he sort of turned his nose to Western Canada. The, the, you know, but, but I should say he's turned his nose to the Prairie Provinces by, by telling them that the Energy East is off the table. Uh, right. So that's going to harm him there. Um and um, he just hasn't gained traction in Atlantic Canada. And now you have the Liberals that are in a, uh, obviously, um, you know, they've recently fired their finance minister, uh, Morneau. And, uh, and Bernier claims that uh, he's going to run um, either in a by-election or the election, whichever comes first. So... Yeah, it looks like it's going to be an election. Day, yeah. It looks like the Liberals may, in fact, be the you know the only party with a real shot at, at forming a national government. Yeah. Um, the Tories are not gaining any traction in Quebec, and so Quebec is going to be a battle between the Bloc Québécois, the separatists. Yeah, and the Quebec. Federal Liberal Party of Canada. Right, that's the only thing standing between the Liberals and a majority government. Can you come back later in the show? Yes, I can. Perfect. Thank you, Clinton. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the liberals want to ram through this Green New Deal, so so get ready to live in a grass mud hut with no heat. If you're lucky, you'll be going to work in a rickshaw. If you're not lucky, you'll be pulling the rickshaw.
Obviously, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but not by much. Trudeau today meeting with Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel. That meeting started about eight minutes ago. I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that one. Now, that's an intellectual mismatch. (laughs) That would be like a five-second game of chess. Checkmate Checkmate Merkel in one move. Never been done before, but... She she must feel like she's talking to somebody like mentally challenged when she's in <laughs> or someone who has dropped on his head repeatedly as a child. Look, we know his mom had mental problems. That's a fact. I'm not trying to be glib here. It's a serious problem. Bipolar issues. Spent time in a psychiatric hospital. So who knows what Junior was subjected to as a child? Maggie was a drunk to boot. She was arrested on a drinking and driving charge back in 2004. So Junior and Merkel, they'll be comparing notes on the New World Order for sure. How far along in the destruction of individual rights and freedoms. Merkel is on her way out, by the way, as Germans push back more and more against her increasingly tyrannical agenda. Going back to the old days in the Stasi. I don't, I'm not saying she, she, she's from the East German side. And I got yelled at by an East German border guard once, and they mean business, man, I'm telling you. I did. I'll tell you that story sometime. But will Canadians do the same and push back against Junior before it's too late? The ratings for the weekend NFL games are out, and the new uh, woke, knee-taking version of pro football got sacked for a big loss. What's Kathleen Wynne doing on TV? Seriously? Get lost. Man, this woman is scary. Go away. The most courageous person on the planet right now, besides Trump, Dr. Lee Meng Yan. This woman is a warrior. She is the rogue Chinese virologist who has come out with the smoking gun evidence that COVID-19 was, in fact, created in a lab That, in fact, it is the Chinese coronavirus. Courageous, because you can bet Trudeau's favorite dictatorship would love nothing better than to terminate this woman forthwith for telling the truth. I've heard she's going to be on Fox News, I think, tonight on Tucker Carlson. Definitely worth a watch. Dr. Li Meng Yang, virologist, doctor, Ph.D., fled Hong Kong, leaving her job at a prestigious Hong Kong university, appeared Last week on British TV, where she claimed this virus, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, was created by Chinese scientists in a lab. But don't tell Blackface. Don't tell him. He's all in on helping China spread its totalitarianism, which is the real virus, around the world. And, of course, bringing it here to this country. Yesterday, of course, we reported that, the, that their latest uh, secret plans to shut down their critics on the Internet... Look at what these guys, these liberal leftist crooks, are obsessed with. I mean, I know I harp on this, but it's important, my friends. We're at a turning point in this country. They're taking guns away from duck hunters and target shooters. This is the stuff that they prioritize in their tiny little non-existent freaking brains. Oh, here comes the music. Okay, we're going to get to Tom. But they're looking to shut down people on the Internet who don't like the liberals. 
They've weaponized debt, massive budget deficits in order to justify massive tax hikes down the road. Part of their economic war on us, we the people. They can't open their mouths up without lying. Anyway, Tom Korski's on the line, and we're not going to keep Tom waiting because he's an important guy and he's got lots of good work to do at Black Locks Reporter. Coming your way right after this. Don't go away. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And yeah, if there's an election coming up and you're going to be hearing the liberals make all sorts of claims about job creation... It might do you some good to find out where those numbers come from, because there may not be a whole lot behind them. This story from Blacklock's reporter, the Department of Industry acknowledges its federal job creation claims are based purely on assumptions and estimates. Okay, what is, are we talking smoke and mirrors here? Tom Korski joining us from the nation's capital. Tom, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Mark. Okay, talk about this story. So there's got to be something behind this. It's all guesswork? Yeah, it's 100% guesswork. It was nice nice of them to put it in writing, though, because this has gone on for years. Uh, Every time there's a government program and the the, the XYZ company is going to get XYZ millions, but look at all the jobs it's going to create. You say, well, what are those claims based on? Is it audits? Do they check payroll figures? Well, no. They actually don't, and in this case, they actually put it in writing. They said, it's just not feasible to figure out how many jobs are created. So, of course, they don't call it guesswork. They call it uh, estimates or actuarial uh, uh, analyses. It's 100% guesswork. They don't know, and in this case, the report concerned military spending, billions of it, and they said, you know, it could have been 6,000 jobs created, could have been 2,000, really... Really, who knows? It's any, it's anyone's guess. We assume something must, something good must have happened. If you shovel six billion dollars off the back of a truck driving down the 401, there's bound to be some economic impact. But it was just about that crude. 
Yeah, I mean, you can drop it out of a helicopter and people are going to find some money and spend it and presumably create some jobs. But I guess there's a possibility these numbers will be politicized, right? And, and they're based on nothing. So when the liberals go out there and say, we created X number of jobs in this department or in this field, and uh, there's no real back backup, there's no factual or logical uh, reason for them to justify those numbers. But it does allow them, I suppose, come election time, and there's a lot of talk, as you know, Tom, they're going this fall, that uh, they can use these numbers for political purposes. Yeah, it's 100%, 100% baloney. No, no matter how thin you slice it, job claims attributed to government spending are 100% baloney all the time. That's just a takeaway for anybody. doesn't matter what government it is. City, county, school board, province, you name it, feds, heaven knows. 100% luncheon meat. <laughs> no delay for climate crisis, Tom. Cabinet will press ahead with new green fuel regulations. So we're talking about a carbon tax part two, the son of... The dream child. What, what are we talking about here? A second carbon tax. But these guys are moving ahead here. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson said that yesterday the oil and gas industry had petitioned for a delay in these so-called clean fuel standards uh, due to recession job losses. But the government doesn't care. Do clean they? fuel standard is, it sounds highly technical, and it is not. It is fascinating. Clean fuel standard has been kicking around for about three years. They've never brought it in because it's very expensive and it's highly contentious. And not too many governments have tried it anywhere in the world. The clean fuel standard says anytime you burn any fuel for any reason, making supper, heating your home, driving to work, there has to be a renewable element in that fuel that didn't exist before. Now, they did this with gasoline, retail gas, and they put in a 5% ethanol mandate. A newsflash, it did not lower the price of gasoline. Ethanol is very expensive. Even the Green Party calls it a disguised subsidy for corn growers. The clean fuel standard mandates that in everything you burn for any reason in perpetuity for all time. What does industry say? They estimate the effect is $200 tax per ton. The carbon tax is only $50 a ton or the equivalent of 12 cents a liter. So let's start doing the math. 12 cents times plus, plus, plus. That's the clean fuel standard. It's a real kapow. It's worth watching, Mark. Tom Korski joins us from Ottawa right here on Saga 960. This is going to make people poorer. I mean, at the end of the day, this is going to take money out of people's pockets and uh, fill the coffers of, of the federal government. I mean, how is that supposed to help the economy? I, if people have less money to spend, I mean, this is a massive... A wealth redistribution scheme by the sounds of it. Just take money from the people, from the regular folks, and give it to either line up their own pockets, fill up the coffers of government, which I, you know, is increasingly desperate for cash as they spend, 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 or line the pockets of their buddies. This, this is terrible news for the economy, for Canadians. I, I don't know what else to say about it, Tom. It, it's not good. Well, even, on, even for homeowners, let's take a typical homeowner. If you're, if you're a typical homeowner... Uh, in this province, you're using natural gas. Well, the price of your natural gas is to be about 8 to $0.10 cents per cubic meter. 
the carbon tax increases that by 10 cents. You just doubled your home heating costs by 2022. And then if they add the clean fuel standard, some estimates are you can go times four. What are you supposed to do, Mark? Are you supposed to install solar panels? Are, are we going to transfigure all that natural gas, all those utility lines for those how many million homes? Are we all going to use windmills? How is that supposed to work? That's nobody's business. They haven't explained that. Tax first, they call it an incentive. I guess it's kind of an incentive. Yeah. It's an incentive to drive up to Ottawa and burn Parliament <laughs> to the ground. I guess that would be an incentive. <laughs> well, Tom, it's an incentive for my friends over at the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada to move their companies south of the border or other jurisdictions in which they don't get hammered by the federal government. This is an absolute insane policy. It's going to cost all sorts of jobs. But these people are just bat crap crazy. Uh, First Nations people have no right to insist indigenous judges hear their legal claims. That, according to an Alberta court, the legal system would collapse if all judges were suspected of bias based on their ancestry. That's a good point. Uh, to me, this is a common sense ruling. What do you think, Tom? Uh, it was an interesting case. This was a First Nations woman in uh, family court. It's child custody case. But uh, she did something unusual. And she petitioned the judge, whose name was Glass. He's Caucasian. He is not First Nations, Inuit or Métis. Uh, she petitioned him to uh, leave the courtroom to recuse himself because he was biased, inherently biased, because he was not Indigenous. The judge took this claim seriously, did some research, said, well, number one, there is no legal basis for your claim. Number two, what are the implications of this? Uh, if you are Indigenous and your case, no matter what it is, criminal, civil, can only be heard by Indigenous judge, what if one is not available? Number two, are we just going to presume that everybody who's not Indigenous is therefore a monster, is biased, cannot possibly comprehend the Indigenous experience in applying the law, the results, said Judge Glass, would be catastrophic. It would be mayhem. The court system would collapse. It would grind to a halt. Not going to do it. It was an interesting ruling. Yeah, but it's also the kind of ruling that will raise the ire of the feds. They'll look over there and say, well, wait a minute. We have systemic racism in this country. That means you judge that means cops that means everybody in the justice system you know systemic racism means everywhere you go everywhere you turn we're living in uh, mississippi in the 1930s you know under jim crow laws so these guys are going to try to push their agenda and they're going to look at that and go oh no you don't you just watch I, to me this is rife for the kind of political interference that we've seen in other areas of government i don't know what do you think tom well, if they want to appoint more Indigenous judges, and there have been those that's testimony in Commons Justice Committee, go ahead. What's stopping you? Go appoint all the Indigenous judges you want. That's not the question here. The question here is, can a non-Indigenous fill in the blank, meter reader, bylaw enforcement officer, patrolman, constable, desk sergeant, judge, lawyer, can a non-Indigenous professional apply the law fairly? And if the assumption in this case was by the plaintiff 
that it's impossible. It's impossible for a white person to apply that law fairly. That's The judge said that's a whole different kettle of fish. Now it's getting complicated. And now, finally, this this story about vowing dollar-for-dollar dollar tariffs. This is something that the, that the liberals love because they can show Canadians, look, we're standing up for you against Trump, you know, and every time he does something, we're going to go up against him. And, and conversely, they can say, look at the other guy. Look at O'Toole. He just said that he agrees with the uh, the Canada First view that uh, of, of the economy, putting Canada first, which is kind of reminiscent of uh, of America first and that policy by Donald J. Trump. So here's something that they can parlay into kind of a political, uh, you know, you know, stick that they can beat Aaron O'Toole with. You know, that's what I saw when when I saw this story, which is cabinet imposing dollar for dollar retaliatory tariffs against American duties on aluminum. I don't know what's What's taking them? Isn't this the kind of thing you do, you know, right after you, you get hammered with tariffs from the U.S.? Automatically, uh, typically. But it, it was interesting. Never forget about the money, Mark, because it's always about the money. The last time they did this two years ago, they raised over a billion dollars in tariffs. And they were supposed to do a rebate program back to Canadian industry. This was, once again, about jobs, jobs, jobs. They were going to rebate all that tax that Parliament collected when they did retaliatory tariffs on American products from furniture to whiskey. Interestingly, isn't this odd? I wonder how this happened. The Parliamentary Budget Office found over $100 million was never rebated. I wonder, I wonder where it went. Is it possible (laughs) that that just went into general revenue and was used for government waste and other spendthrift activities? I don't know, Mark. I don't want to be irresponsible. Hundred million went missing. Unbelievable. Somebody's lining their pocket. I gotta ask you before you go. These new internet regs. Uh, convicted criminal and, and heritage minister uh, Stephen Gibault drafting legislation to regulate legal internet content. Well, you can't regulate illegal internet content because it's illegal. What's the point of regulating it? But uh, w- w- this this should scare anybody who wants a free and open... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Exchange of views on the internet. Absolutely baffling. The cabinet has a fetish about controlling Internet discourse. Every government for the last 30 years has said you cannot regulate Internet content. Don't be confused when the feds talk about drug dealers and gun runners and child pornography. 
because the criminal code already has that taken care of. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about Internet speech that they don't like, and this cabinet won't drop it. They raised it before the pandemic. They are not letting a national health crisis or recession distract them from their weird obsession. I'm telling you, it is just a strange compulsion to start regulating Internet content. The pushback is going to be spectacular. And it should be. This police stuff cannot be allowed to stand. And I tell you, Canadians better get their head out of their asses because this is this needs to be uh, fought, hammer and tong, right to the bitter end. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. Have a great day, Mark. Tom Korski is with Blacklocks Reporter, minding Ottawa's business. Check them out at blacklocks.ca. Up next, the senator. It's coming your way right after this brief timeout. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Well, the leader of the Conservative Party, Aaron O'Toole, says Energy East not on the table. Right, so he's kissing up to Premier Legault in Quebec saying, don't worry, we're not going to push that pipeline thing. You can keep on buying your oil from Saudi Arabia and these exemplary regimes. It's ridiculous. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole underlined the need to bolster Canada's natural resources sector with Quebec Premier Francois Legault in his first face-to-face meeting with the provincial leader. O'Toole said that while he acknowledges the Energy East pipeline is not on the table, his priority as Prime Minister would be to ensure pipeline projects in the West continue to ignite Canada's economy. This is ridiculous, and it's going to cost him seats in New Brunswick, I think, and that's what I'm hearing, but uh, good to get some expert analysis on that one. That's why we have Mike Duffy on the line, the senator. Joining us. Uh, well, I got to tell you, I think that Clinton DeVoe uh, was looking through the wrong end of the telescope. All I right. think uh, that I agree with uh, Tom Mulcair's uh, analysis. The former NDP leader told CTV News that he thought O'Toole, in a pre election period, was playing the game in Quebec very well. He said, This guy is very smooth, he's a smooth operator. And he says what O'Toole said to uh, Francois Legault, the Quebec uh, premier, will play very well in the area outside the island of Montreal, which is where the conservatives have their seats and where Legault is very popular. So I agree with you that intellectually it may be difficult to square that circle between we're four pipelines in the West but we're not going to push. He says it's off the table. He doesn't say it's canceled. He's basically just saying it's not his priority. And then we'll see after the election um, whether or not we can revive this Energy East pipeline. 
So I think, uh, unlike Clinton, I think uh, Aaron O'Toole has played it very well. And I think the uh, poll out this morning from Nano's research shows that the conservative brand is on the upswing. He's, uh, he, Nano's is saying that um, in the last, since the election of Aaron O'Toole, the number of Canadians who are willing to vote or consider voting for the Conservatives has uh, has risen dramatically. So, I don't. Uh, I'm not as critical of Aaron O'Toole and his play there as Clinton would be. He's t- I've learned, the Tories are at thirty uh, percent. Clinton uh, over the years on your show <laughs> that uh, Clinton's not a guy you want to have on on a cloudy day because he sees everything so darkly. I'm, on the other hand, the original optimist here, and I'm always hoping for a sunny day. Glass half full. Well, yeah, that's me. at the moment, the Tory, the, time. the Tory glass is at 30%. Okay, according to this Nanos poll, the, the Liberals are at 358 And the, the big number, as I see it, uh, Mike, is, is in Ontario, where the Liberals are over 40%. And the Conservatives are at 32 points. So they're trailing the Liberals at, at the moment anyway. And this is an Ontario member of Parliament here leading the party. They're trailing by, uh, what, seven and a half points in Ontario? Yeah, but I think it's early days yet. Uh, yesterday I got an email, and as, as you are, I'm in constant contact with friends on all sides of the political spectrum. And I got an email yesterday from a prominent uh, former or recovering political aid in Toronto, worked in the Prime Minister's office back in the day, a liberal. He says, here's what he says to me in the email. He says, I'm being constantly called by liberal MPs lamenting the leftward lurch of Justin Trudeau's government. They fear that the same people who ruined Ontario liberals are in Ottawa now, i.e. inside the Liberal Party. There's a huge rift forming, and people, the liberals, one of their great disciplines over the years is they uh, keep their disagreements behind closed doors. But the fact of the matter is, is the disagreements are there, and people who go all the way back to Pierre Trudeau say they don't recognize the party that is being put forward with the kind of stuff that we're hearing about from Tom Korski. They don't recognize that liberal party. And they think it's a creation of the same people who brought you Kathleen Wynne. Well, we need a palace coup in the Liberal Party anyway. But we're talking to Mike Duffy, the senator, the independent senator, joining us right here in Saga 960. I mean, is there any chance that the party will finally force uh, Justin Trudeau out? They're going to look at the little cabal of people, the the Jerry Butzes of the world and the Telfords and the rest of them. I don't, or is she gone? I can't remember. But the little uh, the little cabal running... Uh, the country at the moment and say, we've got to sweep these people away for the good of the country and for the good of the party. Well, I think what you're going to see is a lot of uh, traditional liberals either hold their noses and vote Tory or simply not vote at all. And we've seen that in the past. Uh, They've been told, the people going back to Trudeau have been told in no uncertain terms straight from the top, their advice, their wisdom, their experience is not wanted it's a new gang in town and we see what the agenda of the new gang is and they don't want 
old farts coming back saying, you know, this thing would cripple the Canadian economy, and as laudable as it might be that you think it's going to change the climate and save the world, it's not doable. They don't want any of those people around. They're the new cool kids, and they're running the show. And so I think there's a tremendous opportunity here for Aaron O'Toole. Uh, he's not Mr. Charisma, but maybe he's taking a page out of Bill Davis's book that Bland works in Ontario, and he's not putting a foot wrong in Quebec because he said uh, in his conversation with Francois Legault, not only is he not pushing the pipeline to him, the eastern pipeline right now, but he also said, I don't care if you ban burkas and so on in the Quebec uh, society. Um, that's provincial responsibility, and I'm not going to stick my nose in. And the clincher, he says, I have no objection if the Quebec government wants to pass a law that says federal corporations like Air Canada, like the CBC, like the federal government itself, uh, fall under Quebec's language law, which says that French must be the language of work in Quebec workplaces. So Aaron O'Toole is basically saying to the Quebec nationalists, I get it, you guys are worried about the French language, and I'm prepared to let you do whatever it takes for you to feel good about yourself and not feel threatened. And that's a smart political move, and he's defanging Justin Trudeau, because you know what Trudeau is going to do. He's going to bring in a motion, and the bloc is going to bring forward a motion in the House of Commons to say federal workplaces must uh, accept the Quebec language law, and Trudeau will try and divide the Tories and paint them as rednecks and anti-French. But O'Toole's gotten ahead of that wave by saying to like, oh, hey, you want French in a workplace? Go to it. It's fine with me. It's your yeah. business. It's your province. It's your cultural and linguistic heritage you're trying to protect. I so agree. No, it's a smart move. about that? Nothing. If uh, you're in a political game trying to I win agree. seats in Quebec or at least prevent the liberals from winning seats in Quebec. No, I agree. I mean, it's a smart move in Quebec. He did the right thing. But the the, the block is going to be extremely difficult to knock off, especially from O'Toole, who's a virtual unknown in Quebec as well as Atlantic Canada. If it was a McKay type of uh, situation, then I would think that uh, you know he would have a, a much better chance. But we've got O'Toole. That's what we're stuck with. In the meantime, the Wexiteers, as we move across the country, Mike, uh, they're uh, you know licking their lips in anticipation of a of a liberal majority win, hoping that that will tip the balance, tip the scales, and push Albertans to the breaking point and beyond, to the point where yeah we got to have our referendum. We've got to decide the future of not only Alberta but the entire West in the face of a Green New Deal, which is going to absolutely destroy the uh, resource sector out west and the, the economic fallout from that is going to be devastating so I think we're looking at a major rift and it all depends on what happens. It's a very important election coming up. Absolutely it's a perilous time for national unity there's no question about that and the sense in western Canada and again you just have to visit and keep your ears open is that 
for too long, nobody's paid attention to them. They're happy to take the money, pump it all down to eastern Canada, but when it comes to something they want, like resource development, they're, uh, they're second rate. And they feel it, and they feel it in their gut, and they've got all kinds of layoffs. We have people here in Prince Edward Island who... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Commute out to, to Alberta to work in the energy sector, and they're back here with no paychecks, no jobs, and they're PO'd at Central Canada that doesn't understand the importance to the entire country of the Western resource sector. I don't know, I don't think we mentioned it uh, on the Nanos poll in Ontario. I told you that uh, the, uh, the Tory brand is moving up, what, what Nick calls the Nanos power index. But Ontario, it shows the Liberals at 40.2, uh, the Conservatives at 32.8. A lot in the margin of error of uh, three and a half, that puts them uh, relatively close together. And if we can see any kind of gain and support from Doug Ford for the uh, conservatives and his machine, even if he stays out of the campaign himself but has his operatives working for Aaron O'Toole, I think we're going to have quite a battle in Ontario. And let's face it, whoever wins in Ontario... Uh, uh, has a very good shot of uh, winning power. I, I couldn't agree uh, with you more. You're absolutely correct. Now look at New Brunswick last night. Yes. All of a sudden yes. the incumbent con- progressive conservative government yep. in the face of COVID gets a majority. Yep. They increase their seat count. So what does that do to Justin Trudeau? It puts the pressure on him again to say, let's go now. Well, we've got some decent numbers related to our management of COVID. And if he doesn't go now, he's going to have committee after committee peeling away the layers of that rotten onion that not only relates to we, but all of the other friends of the government who've been getting rich on the backs of the taxpayers. So I think the pressure to go sooner rather than later is going to continue to grow. Michael, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. You're the best. Talk to you. You're the best. Best senator we know on this show, anyway. <laughs> and we've had at least three or four. All right, my friends. Uh, we've got lots more coming up on News Talk Saga 960, including Kate Harrison, who's our uh, pal in the Conservative Party of Canada. She's going to give us the lay of the land now that Aaron O'Toole is on top. It's coming your way after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.
Mark Petroni radio program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni radio program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back. Give me a call if you'd like to chat. Got a few minutes. Haven't taken as many calls as we often do, but... I know we've been kind of uh, loaded down with guests. Today we've got Kate uh, Harrison joining us at the top of the clock. And I think Clinton's going to be returning. <laughs> now that we've had some back and forth between the senator and, and Clinton DeVoe, I think Clinton wants another shot here. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sure that Mike is more than happy to, uh, to hear the rebuttal. Uh, having a quick look at the markets here, the Dow is up 163 points today, so that's up a little better than half a percent. Uh, S&P 500, the top 500 companies, uh, up about 30 points, so that's uh, that's up about 0.88 percent. That's a solid gain for the broader market, and tech stocks up again, over one percent, so one and a third percent to the good on on the Nasdaq. So. Some of these tech stocks, after the shredding they took about a week ago, now starting to rebound nicely. Tesla's up uh, about uh, almost 5% today. Apple is up over 2%. Uh, what else? Uh, Amazon is up about 1.5%. So some of these tech stocks, I guess, resuming their upward climb. But boy, they did get shredded a little bit. Some of them entering... Uh, a correction territory, which is down about 10%. So that's what's going on in equities, at least south of the border. I'll give you the TSX in a second. But looking at oil, it is up 1.4%. That's West Texas Intermediate, up 52 cents to $37.78. Brent also up, Brent crude up 44 cents. That's a little better than 1%. And gold, which was up strongly earlier in the morning, has kind of leveled off a little bit, although still up better than a third of a percent. So gold is now up to uh, $1,973 is gold. And silver is up as well, about three quarters of a percent. We have Rio on the line. Rio. Hey, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to ask, because this is a, a personal thing. Uh, I'll explain it in a second, but when somebody goes to get the corona test, and right now let's say our numbers are 300, so when you test 20,000 people, the other 19,700 that don't have corona, do they tell them what virus they have? Because obviously they went in with these virus symptoms, right? No, they didn't necessarily have symptoms. I think they were just tested because they, they wanted to get tested. I mean, they, they, I think the number was 30,000 were tested, and out of that, about 1% were found to have tested positive. That's uh, seemed to the the number that I, I recall. I stand to be corrected on that one, but I'm just going off the top of my head here. But and of that one percent, certainly you had people who were asymptomatic as well, people who had uh, the barest of of symptoms, sniffles. Some of them got sick. There's no question about that. And some of them got, were seriously ill. Many of those who got seriously ill had pre-existing medical conditions, conditions that uh, compromised their immune system, whether it's uh, respiratory problems or cardiovascular issues. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, and I don't pretend to be. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's what I, I'm saying. We know that for a fact. And they, they can identify different viruses. So when you go in, it's not just, oh, yeah, you don't have corona, and then... You know, it's not like 
I could see it from personal doctors in the past where they they don't tell you stuff. They'll tell you to take a tile or take, but they won't tell you what you got. And I remember like 15 years ago, I had to go in the second time, and because I talked to my neighbor, he my neighbor's the one who told me what I needed to take. And when I went there, the guy actually wrote me a prescription, and and then uh, I go, yeah, to the doctor. I go, but buddy, can you look in my mouth? And then he, when I, I pressed on him, then he's telling me, yeah, you got 70% virus, 30% bacterial infection. Like, I don't find that they they are specific to people. They, they treat people like dummies. So the doctor wrote they, you a prescription? He wrote a prescription after I told him that what? my neighbor had got oh. the five-day antibiotic because back 15 years ago, I had the same symptoms, and he said, yeah, yeah, that worked for me. So when I told him that, after having this for more than a month, and then he wrote me the prescription, but he didn't even look at me. I had to tell him, Go, can you look at me? He looks he looks in my throat, then he tells me, oh, yeah, what you know, the, the, the breakdown of the virus and bacteria, right? But I find, like, even with this, can we be more specific? Like, when people go in there, it seems like they only care to diagnose you with corona, but people obviously must have other viruses. So what's happening right now is my in-laws are stuck in Ecuador. They never came back from the winter, right, because of this corona lockdown. They did more there. But they've had a virus, and my brother-in-law, who's looking after them, they have this virus for three weeks, and they got tested for corona, and they said, no, you don't have corona. But they actually have gotten worse, especially my father-in-law, like in bed or whatever. So they're getting another somebody to come over to give a test, right? But it's like, it seems so... This fixation on only Corona, like, can we be specific on things? Our, sure. our healthcare is so lax in so many ways, right? Yeah. Like, can we diagnose people properly and don't treat people like? Well, um, yeah. Well, maybe that's a reflection on just how hard pressed the healthcare system is. I don't yeah, know. Like, I, I mean, I mean, we see now how bad most of the uh, retirement homes and everything is, but we yeah. also have to get a better healthcare system. Whereas I know people who were in Germany, you know. They, they would go to MRIs and CAT scans right away and don't have this guessing thing because you actually pay more when you guess and, 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 and you misdiagnose people for various problems, right? Why not just, if you can look at something and, yeah, this is what you got, we got to be more high-tech and better about it. And, and we're too casual. I think our healthcare is too casual the same way that we were too casual with throwing people in retirement homes and then just like, Eh, well, that was, a, no, that was a disaster. And, you know, a lot of people that was who, a disaster. who died, you know, with Corona or they actually died of malnutrition here in Ontario and uh, dehydration. A, a lot, lot of, of them do die. On, That's on true. TV dehydration is a big problem for the elderly. That's absolutely true. Thank you. For, thank you for your call, Rio. Yeah. Okay. Take care, Mark. And by the way, the, the origin of the uh, Chinese coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, that is going to be possibly exposed by somebody that I referred to at the start of the show. The story of the is the rogue Chinese virologist now publishing a smoking gun in the form of evidence that COVID-19 was created in a lab. This woman is one of the most courageous people you're likely to meet on the planet. Uh, this is Dr. Li Meng Yan, whom I understand is going to be on Tucker Carlson's show Tonight on Fox News, she's a Chinese virologist, a doctor, PhD, who fled the country. Actually, she was actually in Hong Kong, leaving her job at a prestigious Hong Kong university, appearing last week on British TV, where she claimed that SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19, was created by Chinese scientists in the Wuhan lab. And by the way, that lab 
is also partially funded by the taxpayers of this country to the tune of eight to nine hundred thousand dollars. So that's going to be an interesting interview. Looking forward to hearing from Dr. Li Meng Yan this evening. This is a young woman who is um, taking her life in her hands by telling the Chinese and calling them out. My gosh, how courageous do you have to be to do that when we have leaders in this country who take a knee to that totalitarian regime? But now you have courageous people like Dr. Lee saying no. All right, my friends, quick time out. Kate Harrison on the other side of this break. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Eagle has landed here on Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you, Hour 2 of the Mark Petroni radio program. So very glad that you could join us right here on Saga 960. We have Kate Harrison on the line. And Kate, we've had a little bit of a debate this morning between uh, Clinton DeVoe, a longtime conservative, and former conservative Senator Mike Duffy. And they both have uh, kind of conflicting views of Aaron O'Toole's move in Quebec, meeting with uh, Premier Legault, mm. suggesting that, in fact, uh, this pipeline, pipeline, uh, the Energy East is off the table, and uh, Clinton thinks it's a bad idea that's going to cost jobs that a lot of people in New Brunswick, for instance, were looking forward to having a pipeline from the uh, Western crude uh, supply area in, in Alberta, the oil sands and so forth, and eventually going to the Irving a refinery, but now we're hearing from the leader of the Conservative Party. Now that's that's off the table. Others saying that it's it's a good move that it shows that they're making the kind of outreach that uh, that the leader needs to make in the province of Quebec and elsewhere amongst sort of soft liberal voters uh, who care about uh, things like climate change, but uh, maybe have been leery about voting conservative in the past. I know it's a long question, but what do you think? Yeah, no, it's a long, long and complicated <laughs> issue with quite a bit of history. I, I think O'Toole in this case is darned if he does and darned if he doesn't, Mark. The reality is that if Energy East were to proceed, of course, Quebecers would be upset. There would probably be uh, protests. Certainly, it would not help electoral prospects in Quebec. Uh, but if it doesn't proceed, then he risks angering, angering the uh, base in Western Canada, uh, which is keen to get their oil to market. And we've also heard Aaron O'Toole say that Canada needs to be less reliant on global powers, and that includes for our energy supply. So trying to square the circle with all those factors at play is, is no easy task. 
I think that, you know, if we're going to, to sell the message to Canadians that we need to be a little bit more independent, uh, less reliant on the United States and other foreign powers, China especially, uh, for materials, supplies, energy, you name it, uh, that will involve the movement of crude oil uh, across across Canada. And how we have to do it is going to be a hard negotiation with Quebec. But I think the pros are likely to outweigh the cons in terms of what it means for the rest of Canada's economic prospects. So the question then becomes, you know, what else are we offering Quebecers if we want to push ahead with Energy East? I mean, I understand why he would take that approach, figuring that people in Alberta and Saskatchewan, uh, much of, of British Columbia and Manitoba are going to vote conservative regardless of what he does. And so the people that he needs to convince are those in Quebec and, and in Ontario. And so you try to play both cards. But ultimately, if you're going to make an outreach to, towards those voters, then you've got to uh, kind of a try and, and appease those people. And, and I agree with you. It is a tough uh, a tough call. But on the other hand, Quebec continues to import oil from Saudi Arabia and places like that. I, I, Venezuela. I mean, rogue regimes, right? regimes that treat their people like garbage. Yeah, there's have... no shortage of hypocrisy in terms of Quebec's position on this, if I'm being honest. And, you know, I, I, you say that Albertans and Manitobans, et cetera, would vote conservative no matter what. Uh, there's new polling that suggests provincially the UCP is in for a real fight with the NDP. Uh, so certainly I think that is a result of the frustration of those working in the patch and elsewhere that things aren't moving and, and people are hurting. So it's not support that can be taken for granted. Uh, and I think that if those outside of Quebec are aware of the potential that this could bring, because we have not mentioned it, but Atlantic Canada also stands to benefit quite considerably from an Energy East pipeline. Uh, if we can get some of those voters on side with this plan, I think that maybe there's other things we could put in the window for Quebecers to help soften the blow. Well, he, yeah, I mean, he just said no to Energy East, as I understand it, or at least he said it was off the table, whatever that means exactly. I'm not sure. But you just had a conservative, a progressive conservative uh, victory in New Brunswick. So that must be a, a bit of a feather cap and the cap of uh, of the federal conservatives, which w- wants to make inroads in Atlantic Canada. And, and since McKay was defeated uh, by, by O'Toole, then uh, you know you might there might be some people in Atlanta, Canada who think, well, I, I might have voted for McKay, but I don't know about this Aaron O'Toole guy. We don't know who he is, and so maybe stick with the devils they know, which is the Liberals. And it looks like they're going to go to the polls uh, sooner than later. I mean, I, you're hearing the talk as as am I. How ready is the Conservative Party of Canada to fight uh, the next election, which could happen, could be called in in four weeks' time? Yeah, I think the Conservatives are actually in a pretty good position uh, with the caveat that their leader has been in the job less than three weeks. So, you know, they do have a campaign team together from the leadership uh, that could be easily ported over, if you will, to a, to a national war room, uh, plus those from other campaigns that weren't successful. Uh, they've also got a pretty good war chest. O'Toole showed that uh, he's got some decent fundraising chops. Uh, he was kind of toe-to-toe with McKay on fundraising for a while. I think McKay ultimately bested him, but still very impressive numbers considering the political environment that we've been dealing with in terms of COVID. So I think the Conservatives are in okay shape, but the question is whether or not they would face backlash uh, from sending Canadians to the polls at a time where we're seeing increasing case numbers, 
of COVID-19 across the country? Or are the Liberals more likely to wear that if they engineer their own defeat? So uh, it's, it's really difficult to say how the narrative on that would shift things. As we just saw in New Brunswick, didn't really hurt the governing party of the time to send uh, New Brunswickers to the polls. Uh, they were rewarded with a majority. So I think that there are at least some Liberals looking at that and saying, okay, well, maybe this changes the calculation for us if, uh, you know, we can increase our seats by a few, at least a few, then we can get a majority, we're into majority territory, and maybe with low voter turnout, which I suspect would be the case with COVID, uh, that would benefit the governing party of the day. Kate Harrison joins us. She's with uh, Summa Strategies. She's a political strategist. Uh, let's take a quick look at this Nanos poll, which... Mind you, kind of runs counter to some of the polls that we saw recently, which seem to suggest that the Tories and the Liberals were running neck and neck. This one, not quite as much, especially in Ontario, where it appears that the Liberals are ahead by about seven and a half, almost eight points. But nationally speaking, you have the uh, the Liberals at what, uh, 30, uh, 35.8%. Conservatives at 30.1%. So it appears that he's got a little bit of, of ground to make up, though I guess if you factor in the margin of error and so forth, they could be running even tighter. And the NDP is at 19.1%. So they seem to be getting up a little bit. They seem to be strengthening from the numbers that I saw last time of the NDP, 17 and 18%. So maybe. Yeah, the NDP really, though, should not entertain going to an election if they're anywhere below 23 uh, because the reality is that they need to chip into that liberal lead if they're going to be successful uh, and pick up their seats. They lost more than half of their seats in the last election. Um, Jagmeet Singh would be heading into this with very few candidates, very little organization, and next to no money. Uh, so that's not exactly a great position. Uh, and, and with polling below 20%, that's not a situation where the NDP ought to consider heading to an election. But the key with the national polls, Mark, to your exact point is, you have to dig into the regional numbers because even a neck-and-neck race uh, between the Liberals and the Conservatives, which might look good on paper to Tories, you look a little bit deeper into Ontario and Quebec and parts of Atlantic Canada where we need to be successful. We need to pick up seats in those areas. The numbers aren't particularly rosy. So, uh, you know, I think that where we're strong, of course we're strong, uh, and that's what's bolstering the national numbers because we have very high support in Western Canada, but there's no more seats there for us to pick up. So we need to be a little bit more strategic in looking at uh, Ontario and, and other places where we need to boost the seat count if we're actually serious about heading to an election anytime soon. And the Liberals have outpaced us in the, the 905 and parts of the GTA that are, are must-win ridings for the Conservatives. Uh, seven is actually pretty reasonable. I've seen the split high, as high as 10 or 11 points. Uh, that's where the conservatives need to spend their time and their energy if they want to have a chance at actually forming a minority government, let alone a majority. I agree. But is it possible, as I have heard, that if the prime minister asks to dissolve parliament, asks the GG to move ahead in order to have a, a, a federal election, that in fact the leader of the conservative party, Aaron O'Toole, and perhaps the bloc uh, partnering with the NDP could, in fact, ask to form a government of their own. That would be convention. Yes, that's right. So the, the governor general does have the ability to go to the opposition parties and see if they can make a coalition government work. It is hard to imagine a scenario where those three leaders in particular come together to avoid an election. Uh, I have a hard time seeing, given how close the priorities are for the NDP and the liberals right now, I have a hard time seeing the NDP get on side with 
more conservative options proposed by, of, of course, the Tories, but also the Bloc Québécois. So uh, it's difficult to, to see that working out, although this is 2020, and I suppose anything can happen. Uh, and if it's going to happen, it might as well be in this crazy pandemic here. Yeah, and O'Toole could certainly make the case that we really don't want to go to the polls right now. This could be a, a health issue. And so ask the, the governor general to hold off allow the opposition to try and cobble together some kind of of a coalition, um, a a government, and head off uh, a potential situation, health situation. So uh, maybe the governor general might say, well, I don't want it to be on my head that if I say, yeah, go ahead, have it. Have your election, and then end up later on with with spikes here and there, and issues around uh, COVID and people getting it. And so, I she may she may be so risk averse, not wanting a health uh, I don't say a catastrophe, but certainly a health issue crop up essentially on her watch, having agreed to dissolve Parliament, move ahead with an election at this time. What do you think? Yeah, she's had her own share of controversy, as you know, Mark, so maybe she's looking to avoid a little bit of that that controversy as well. I think the Liberals, even just in the last 48 hours, have really pivoted their messaging uh, away from posturing for an election. It strikes me very much that they're now looking more, uh, they're looking at these climbing case numbers and saying, oh, okay, maybe now is not the time for that uh, big, bold vision that we were planning on tabling just weeks ago, and they're pouring a little bit of water in their wine. So uh, I think they're reading the tea leaves on public sentiment here, uh, and they would, I think, have a very, very difficult time selling nationally uh, with only a year between elections that now is the right time to go to the polls and do this. New Brunswick was a bit different. Uh, They have been in power for uh, 22 months. Uh, the balance of power was going to be decided by a couple of by-elections, uh, which I think a lot of New Brunswickers and, and voters would just feel is, is fundamentally unfair. Uh, that is not the situation with the Liberals. They have the ability to effectively govern as they wish right now, especially with support of the NDP. So in my view, if they want to force the, force the issue and force Canadians to the polls, they're going to have to be the ones to wear that single-handedly. Well, because they have a radical agenda lined up. The Green New Deal is going to be unlike the, anything the world has ever seen. It's going to be an absolute nightmare. It's going to cause uh, immense economic upheaval in the country. So this guy wants to remake it, this narcissist moron that we have running the country right now. He wants to push the country in that direction, and he, he may feel that he needs a, uh, a majority in which to do that. He's also going full Chinese dictatorship here when it comes to the issue of gun confiscation and going after uh, the internet and and trying to shut down opposition on the internet along with buying up the media. So we have a a radical government here. There's a threat to the freedoms in this country. So we need to push back one way or another. And I hope O'Toole is up to the job. Yeah. And it seems that he is. I think he's really in the last few weeks moved very quickly to organize his staff, organize his shadow cabinet, get out there on a few key policy positions having the meetings with Legault and, and others that he needs to do. So I think he's hit the ground running. The fact he's in the House of Commons is a nice advantage. Uh, it means that, you know, he's going to be ready and right there to give his response and the party's response to the speech from the throne. But I think you're right, Mark. What we're preparing for is a very, very different agenda than what the Liberals campaigned on even just a year ago. So I think a lot of Canadians should have a direct say in whether or not that's the direction the country ought to go. It would just be a shame if the Liberals used a pandemic 
as a means of getting this agenda on the table uh, and rushing through an election despite very legitimate concerns about COVID. Well, they used that shooting incident, uh, the, the mass murder in Nova Scotia to ram through gun confiscation. So I wouldn't put anything above these guys. Uh, they're, they're just... Uh, I don't know. I've run out of words to describe just how vile this government is. But, Kate, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Have a good morning. Kate Harrison is with Summa Strategies, and we appreciate Kate coming on the show. She's uh, one of the luminaries over there at the Conservative Party of Canada. And we'll be back with more after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back. You might want to check out a column in American Greatness called Insurrection, the mostly behind-the-scenes attempt between Election Day and Inauguration Day to prevent Donald Trump from taking office. And that will, uh, well, it's certainly available now. It's an eye-opener. I mean, it's many of the same suspects that you, I'm sure, are aware of. This cabal of, of Democrat Party members, never-Trumpers, uh, who are Republicans, of course, who oppose Trump and will, will never support Trump plotting a post-election civil war of sorts to make sure Biden assumes the presidency, even if Donald Trump legitimately wins. It's an insurrection, goes the column by Julie Kelly. Once again, in American greatness, President Trump said it on Fox last week when asked about the widely circulated plan. We'll put them down very quickly if they do. So I tell you, the next couple of months are going to be just crazy. Um, the column goes on to say, let's hope that he does succeed, meaning Trump does succeed in event that he wins fairly. And I think he's headed for a victory now, unless it's stolen from him. A document released last month by something called the Transition Integrity Project, a head fake name to give the depraved group the appearance of decency is a shocking battle plan that would plunge the country into even more chaos than we are seeing now. The same agitators on the left and the never Trump right who've stoked nonsense. By the way, I think that's a misnomer, too. They're not conservatives, these never Trumpers. I don't think so. They're more like the neocon types. That's who we're talking about, you know, the Bushes, those types of people. And then you could even put the Clintons in there as well. The, the, the neocons ticked off that Trump hasn't started a war. He's the first president in generations. Not to start a war, a new war, is Donald J. Trump. Something you'll never hear the media talk about, or very, very rarely. The left-wing media doesn't care about any of that. They also don't care that he's struck these amazing peacekeeping deals, uh, you know, these um, deals between the United Arab Emirates and, and Israel, for example. And there's more coming down the pike including a deal with with Bahrain and possibly even Saudi Arabia. Just, I mean, remember that these countries have been, in technical uh, terms, at war with one another, even though you may not see a whole lot of bloodshed 
on a daily basis as, as you would expect in a in a hot war. They've essentially been technically at war with each other. And so any agreements that you can create between Israel and many of these other countries in the Gulf in order to stabilize the region is is good. And Trump, you know, he deserves that Nobel Prize for the for just, for that alone, for what he managed to accomplish in terms of negotiating a deal between the the United Arab Emirates and and Israel. But what this article is saying is that there is an organized plan, a coup attempt essentially, in place, and this is not the stuff of conspiratorial thinking. This is real. These are bad people who are plotting in the back rooms to basically steal the election from Trump should he come out victorious. Goes on to say, this is more than the far-fetched hallucinations of political outcasts. The mayhem they have been wargaming will be heavily funded by a number of Trump-hating billionaires and those people have no intention of losing out on their investment. The mostly behind-the-scenes attempt between Election Day and Inauguration Day to prevent Donald Trump from taking office uh, failed the first time, failed miserably, despite help from the media and the most powerful government agencies in the world. We're talking about the FBI, the CIA, the other deep staters. Anyway, that's being exposed. And instead of help from James Comey and Jim Clapper, these are many. These are the coup plotters. Jim John Brennan. The 2020 version will be bolstered by the likes of billionaires like Tom Steyer, Pierre Odemeyer, Soros, members of the Rupert Murdoch family. Believe it or not, because yeah, I know. Thinking that uh, oh, that's Fox, you know, that's right wing. Eh, not all of it, and of course, big tech which we know that very well, the likes of Facebook, Google, uh, and Twitter, and on and on and on, people trying to change the algorithms, people trying to change the narrative. And so it's, it's amazing, you know, it, you really almost have to hope for a divine intervention here to save Trump, basically considering the incredible people that he has lined up against him. The powerful forces lined up against him. FBI raiding the home of a Netflix star and surrogate for Biden. So this is another guy. This is the ongoing links now. You, you talk, you hear talk constantly about how the left is trying to legitimize and normalize pedophilia. Well, it's just coming out more and more. Hollywood, it's scary. It's, it is disgusting what you hear from these people. And now this latest thing, now influencer Jerry Harris was part of the Biden campaign's plan to win back the Internet. <laughs> well, the people who have dominated the Internet last time around, despite big tech and their Democrat Party leanings, but because they thought Clinton was a shoe in that there was no way Trump was going to win, they probably didn't uh, try to swing the balance didn't try to cheat as much as they might have otherwise done so if they were if they were really if they were to have known that Trump was going to pull out this huge win in 2016 but now they know so now they've got an incumbent president that they're trying to unseat anyway the man featured in a campaign video with democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden now under investigation under federal investigation for soliciting soliciting sex with minors 
That story reported by USA Today. Federal agents raided the Illinois home of Jerry Harris, who gained notoriety due to his role in the Netflix documentary Cheer. Well, you know, we've heard about uh, this other series, Cuties, this French series. I mean, uh, yesterday I was just flipping around and Global had this story about trying to show, you know, you could just smell it on these people trying to show, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with this series. Just They just try to ram the stuff down your throat as if trying to make you think that it's okay, you know. Oh, it's fine. You know, you're talking about consenting minors here. Really? It's disgusting. Anyway, so this guy now is in trouble. Someone associated with the Biden campaign, now subject to a raid by federal agents to his home in the state of Illinois. And guess what? Guess what they found, you know? The, uh, so he, the allegations include solicitations flagged for authority by authorities by the 21-year-old's employer. So the boss of the, this guy's boss apparently flagged the authorities. So just three months ago, the Biden campaign used this guy who has over a million followers on Instagram. They just love these people for obvious reasons. They, they have a major online footprint. And as part of Biden's push to sway young voters, being that he's in a steep level of cognitive decline himself, wants to show everybody, oh, look how youthful he is. And win back the internet. Time magazine reported that. that he's trying to win back the internet by, you know, getting the support of these people. Well, some of those people are not very good. <laughs> so now we're seeing that this guy who was part of the Biden campaign is this major influencer now under investigation and facing a raid by federal agents, and now he is suspected of sexual misconduct involving minors. And that story, once again, also picked up by the Free Beacon. After publication of the article, the Instagram video was removed from social media platform. This was a, a, potential, a potentially compromising evidence that suggested that this guy was doing some you know, illegal stuff involving minors. Boy, Netflix has been so compromised lately, hasn't it? Not coincidentally, of course, when they had Obama and Susan Rice and all these Democrat Party people involved in the creation, the funding of, uh, of content for Netflix. Hardly an accident that it sucks so bad now, is it? When you invite these people, these leftists, these slime balls in there to try and create content, well, what do you think they're going to do? Are they going to try to create the best possible content they can, money-making content? No, they're going to ram through their own agenda, their own political agenda, however sick it happens to be. More news talk to come after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni radio program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni radio program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. 
here back with more news talk. So very glad you could join us on this Tuesday edition of the show. Well, I guess Leslie Lewis now is being, um, well, I don't, I don't know, you want to say parachuted in <laughs> to a safe uh, Tory riding, uh, kind of a, a rural riding. Look, they want her in there. They want her in, in caucus, at least. They see her as a key uh, pillar of the party, and so it's not like she's going to run in a riding where she could potentially be defeated. So they're they're bringing her into a safe conservative party riding in Ontario. I'll give you more details in a minute. What we have Clinton DeVoe on the line. Clinton, I don't know if you heard uh, Senator Duffy, but he's saying you're off base here with this Energy East stuff. That in fact, uh, it looks like O'Toole is going to make some inroads. That he's uh, he's playing it right in Quebec as he's reaching out to people of that province. I don't know. I think he's going to be in tough against the likes of the Bloc, which has eaten into so much Conservative Party support over the last couple of elections. I don't know. And I, and I don't know how he's going to do in Ontario on this poll. And I realize it's early days for O'Toole, but he's trailing seven and a half points in, in Ontario, at least according to this Nanos poll. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, look, I... Uh Look, sometimes I agree with Duff. Uh, you know, he's one of the, uh, the great uh, political studies this country has produced. And sometimes I disagree with him. And in this particular case, I, I do disagree with him. Uh, if we look at Quebec and we look at all of the polling data that's coming out, uh, the Tories' footprint is being shrunk smaller and smaller into a specific geographical part of Quebec. And what we're discovering there is that those races where the Conservatives historically could pull off victories are tightening into liberal versus bloc races and uh, bloc Quebecois races. And um, so I don't believe he's going to make inroads. And more importantly, I believe that this messaging uh, where he says that whether one is in favor or against Energy East, um, when you come out and say Energy East is off the table, um, while at the same time publicly committing to supporting uh, the Paris Climate Accord, whether one supports it or not, uh, if we look at Western Canada and specifically the prairies, you know that's a non-starter in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And, but he owns um, those seats. Those seats aren't going anywhere, right? I mean, well, who are they going to vote for? Uh, as I alluded to earlier, if you have some liberal heavyweights like a Ralph Goodale run again, and you have some others, uh, you may in fact see uh, some losses occur. Well, if you split the vote, I mean, if some of those people who don't like O'Toole start gravitating towards the People's Party, and I realize it's a bit of a stretch, but or, Max or is liked a West. Forget, like, there are places in Edmonton that have elected liberals. It's not like it's always been conservative. And, uh, you know, we see the same thing in Manitoba, where liberals and New Democrats get elected. And, so, and then the other component in all of this uh, is the messaging. You know, I'm not sure that the messaging of, quote, take Canada back is going to necessarily sell in the greater 905 and the greater 613. Uh, those are the area codes in the greater Toronto area and the greater Ottawa area. And that's because those areas 
are very multicultural, and those communities, um, I, I'm not sure that, that the message take Canada back is going to appeal uh, to those populations. Well, that's um, that, that has that alt-right kind of feel about it, at least to me. I mean, it has that kind of... You know, Canada's slipping away in terms of its freedoms. That's what I hear in that. So in in that respect, it might make some inroads amongst the base, you know, the hardcore, you want to call it the hardcore, so sort of the, yeah, the conservative base the of the party. The problem is, is the base are the people who voted for Andrew Scheer. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing the base of the conservative party. What did it get them? In, a, in, a, in an election which was ripe for the taking, the best they could pull off was a minority government with blackface videos going all over the place and with SNC-Lavalin. And that stuff is off of the map. It, it, like, people don't care now. That's, they've moved on. They've accepted the prime minister's apology for it, whether one agrees with that or not. The public has accepted that. And, and when we look at the polling data, the polling data indicates that the conservatives have extreme weakness right now in Ontario. Um, they have, they're almost non-existent in the province of Quebec. And um, they're having real trouble trying to make inroads in Atlantic Canada. And now just to shift this around a little bit for your listeners, that's the conservative side of the table. Now, if we look at the NDP, uh, the NDP for all intents and purposes are broke. They have no money whatsoever. So th- when this snap election is called in four weeks, the NDP are going to run a disastrous campaign because they can't even rent a bus or rent an airplane. They have no money coming in. So they're broke, and they have a leader who is not making any kind of inroads. So to Duffy's earlier point, conservatives historically do well in elections when the new Democrats generally do well. So the new Democrats don't have to win seats. They just have to get a critical mass of support to pry away from liberals. And that's not happening. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, um, buyers are not interested in what he's selling. Um, now, if we look at the liberals, um, because I pride myself on, on not being overly partisan about these things, the Liberals are in a great position. They have significant strength in Manitoba. They have significant strength in British Columbia. And voters in Ontario are going to look at this messaging that the Conservatives are doing, and maybe they say to themselves, you're better to vote for the devil you know than the devil you don't know. Yeah. And Clinical. so... You know, it, it, this is not an endorsement of any of the parties, I but I, I do believe that the Liberals are in a position to to get to a win. majority. And a majority. The polling okay. data indicates they can win a majority government. Clinton DeVoe joining us from Halifax in the beautiful province of Nova Scotia. Leslie Lewis, whom we all got to know during the race for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. So now she's going to be running in Haldeman, Norfolk. She's decided she will seek the party's nomination. So obviously the party wants to give her a, an opportunity to get in caucus, to become a player. I mean, this is somebody that the uh, conservatives feel 
is kind of one of those standard bearers for the party to show how diverse they are and so forth. Here's here's a black woman who's now going to be a major player in the party. Uh, what do you think about moving her into a rural southern Ontario riding that has been such a safe seat for the party since it was drawn up in 2004? Well, so it makes sense that they're going to, anytime you have someone who's not in the House of Commons, that you find them what they call a quote-unquote safe seat uh, to run. Um, you know, my concerns around the Leslin Lewis candidacy is that there seems to be uh, too much emphasis on the optics and not enough emphasis on the messaging. And so when I say that, um, I'm sure Leslin Lewis is a great person, and I'm not being critical of her, but she does carry significant social conservative baggage. And so one of the problems that the Canadian conservative movement faces, it's similar to the United States, but in a different manner. And that's that if we look at the states, if we look at the gun lobby, for example, they basically own the Republican Party, whether someone likes firearms or not. And so what we're seeing in Canada is we're, we're seeing the social conservative movement uh, is becoming this critical block within the Conservative Party where, in some ways, they're calling the shots of the Conservatives. And that's fine when it comes to leadership races and nominating candidates and things like that, but it doesn't always work out so well when it comes time for general elections because if the people that you're presenting... If, if, if the public at large doesn't see themselves in, in what you're presenting and they don't hear themselves in what you're presenting, then the public will just look away. And so we've seen the Conservatives blow the election in 2015 um, after um, really being in a position to win. Uh, when they, you know, had those snitch hotlines that they talked about, snitching on your suspicious neighbors. And then we saw in 2019 the Conservatives incapable of answering basic questions around issues like abortion and and gay marriage and, and pride parades and these kinds of things. And so, you know, the public is moving in one direction and the Conservative Party is moving in another. And I would argue it's because the Conservative Party has a bit of a crisis in, in the sense that it, it, doesn't, it can't seem to decide whether it's a movement or it's a political party. And if it's a political party, it, want, it should always strive to win. And if it's a movement of what I call the morality brigade, um, then... Uh, you're not going to necessarily win elections. Let me ask you this um, while I got you on the line, Clinton. There's talk that Peter McKay is going to run in Central Nova. This is There's a story. This Duff uh, got this story to me. Apparently, he's thinking of running. Have you heard this? Yeah, so, um, look, I have heard that uh, Peter uh, is comfortably settling in in, uh, in Nova Scotia again, in uh, the, the greater New Glasgow area, which is, for your listeners who don't know, 
Uh, Central Nova is a federal riding in Nova Scotia that, that represents the communities of New Glasgow, Pictou, and, um, and Westville. Um, and it's, a, it's kind of in northern Nova Scotia, and it's kind of an industrial sort of urban hub. And uh, I have been hearing uh, various rumors that, uh, that Peter is interested in potentially running. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, unfortunately, you know, I don't have an answer one way or the other. But, um, you know, I know that, uh, that Peter's proud of his roots, and I know that his children and his wife really love the greater New Glasgow area. It's, uh, it's a great community. It's close to the ocean. It's a short drive to Halifax. And uh, it's got a lot of stuff going for it. No, it's a beautiful area of the country, no question about that. But it would be an enormous boost for O'Toole in Atlantic Canada. And he, he desperately needs it. But I would also well, show... I agree. It would be a huge boost for Aaron O'Toole. And, I mean, it would be interesting in a sense because uh, a guy like Peter... Um, look, let's be honest. If if this election, if Trudeau wins a majority government, um, O'Toole is is out. Uh, the knives will come out within five days of within twenty four hours of of the election loss. If o, if the Liberals win another minority, but it's a strengthened minority, and the Conservatives lose seats. Um, then the knives will be out for O'Toole within five days. So, and, and, and that's because um, th- there will be people in the party that will be unhappy and will want to win an election because that's the nature of political... Look, yeah. political parties exist for two reasons and two reasons only. One is to win power... And one is to be reelected and maintain power. Yeah, well, it would be a heck of a thing to see Peter run. It would show the resilience of this guy after having this uh, campaign, the leadership stolen from him, shredded, as it were, by. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's <laughs> unfortunate, as your listeners are probably aware. I mean, give me a break. Uh, study or reports that have come out, social media. Uh, you know, reports of uh, shredded ballots. And I think you've had a guest on your show from Suma Strategies who's indicated that, uh, yes, you know, ballots were shredded, but don't worry, the ballots were were remarked and refilled out and that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, those are all concerns that, uh, yeah, that, you guess, think? Uh, that the public has had. And look, we, it's time to move on from that. Absolutely. And uh, I guess we'll see, um, A, whether uh, Prime Minister Trudeau will remain Prime Minister, uh, and B, um, how long uh, Mr. O'Toole can hang on. Yeah, I mean, this is about him uh, sort of hanging on to his own, like fighting off elements of his own party. I mean, we heard Duff talk about that as well, saying... Well, let's be clear, because because Mr. O'Toole has said, uh, has publicly said, and it's been reported on one of your competitors, CTV News, because Mr. O'Toole has said, and I quote, Energy East is off the table, close quote, uh, that is not going to go over well if, in fact, Aaron O'Toole loses this next election. Yeah, thank you, Clinton. Um, I got to run. Because we gotta the go to, base will turn on him. 
Uh, couldn't agree more. I, I suspect that elements of the bases are already turning on him. But we've got to take a time out. Back with our final scintillating segment. Thank you, Clinton. Clinton coming to us from Halifax in the great province of Nova Scotia. Back with our final segment after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more News Talk, so very glad you could join us. We've got a few minutes left. Still time to take a call or two if you've uh, got any thoughts about the show. Anybody. Uh, that you heard uh, maybe said something which you maybe take exception to or agree with. Uh, either or, we're happy to hear from you. I, I mentioned the Sunday night football ratings posting a steep decline compared with last year. This from our Get Woke, Go Broke file. In an NFL season that seems to be more about social justice and COVID precautions instead of playing football, perhaps it should come as no surprise that ratings for Sunday Night Football tanked on NFL's Week 1. No surprise because don't forget all that booing by that crowd in the very first game of the season, Kansas City versus Texas. Remember that? All that knee-taking? The Texans didn't even come out for the national anthem? Well, fans don't like that kind of stuff. Good. Initial ratings from Sunday night's uh, football games featuring the Dallas Cowboys and the uh, newly moved Los Angeles Rams plunged from last year. Sunday night football uh, ratings plunging. That uh, that game drew 14.81 million viewers, which sounds like a lot, but one year earlier, the game between the Patriots and the Steelers drew 22.2 million. We have Guy on the line. Guy. Good morning, Mark. Good program. I Thank wonder you. if I could just quickly give you my analysis of Clinton DeVoe and uh, Senator Duffy's comments this morning. Sure. I I was, you know, obviously O'Toole was not my first choice in terms of the leadership for the Conservative Party. I went with McKay in the hope that he could swing some of them maritime votes. I, I don't understand what goes on in the Maritimes. They're, they're working-class, blue-collar people for the most part, and they vote liberal. I don't get it. But at any rate... I think the events of yesterday with regard to the uh, PC victory and majority, uh, basically a, a large majority in New Brunswick, I think that bodes well for the fortunes of the Conservative Party in a snap federal election. I think the East Coast people are starting to come to the realization that the Liberals do not have their best interests at heart. I mean, they, they have to start thinking this is going badly for them on a federal level. And maybe it's time to uh, to let, let's get some common sense back in, into the uh, governance. Of the I country. lived for years of these. Let me tell you something about the Maritimes, my friend. The Maritimes used to be, and Atlantic Canada, if you include Newfoundland, used to be one of the most fiercely independent and entrepreneurial parts of the on the planet. You know, back in the shipbuilding years, those people didn't want to be governed uh, by the heavy hand of the state. What happened was, after Confederation, 
years, year after year after year of government policies gradually created a sense of dependency in Atlantic Canada. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still plenty of entrepreneurs. And all you have to do is look at people like the McCain's and the Irving's. You know, the John Risleys of the world, billionaires. I mean, we're talking about some of the greatest companies this country has ever produced. Worldwide creators of stuff, the cooks, you know, the seafood billionaires. So these are these are companies and entrepreneurs. The spirit is still strong amongst some. But unfortunately, a lot of other people have have come to become more dependent on government. You know, it's government saying, we'll give you this. We'll take care of you. You don't have to bother. You don't have to start your own company. You know, rely on us. Rely on government. And over the course of time, what did they do? They transferred a lot more of the power and the wealth to other parts of Canada, namely Quebec and Ontario. I, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm saying that this is what happens. This is why the left pushes dependency guy, because they know that over the course of years and d- decades, they gradually, you know, you become people become more and more dependent on the state. And as a result, they become more fearful. Well, what if the state takes what if the government takes this away? What if they take that program away and look at all the civil servants that we have here, all the public servants, look at all the schools, the, the education facilities, you know, all the the things that are reliant on government, those things start to supersede the entrepreneurial spirit of, uh, of a region. And that's what happened in Atlanta, Canada, in my humble opinion. So that explains that. Worked with uh, East Coast people, Maritimers across this country and offshore. And I can tell you they are of the hardest working and independent spirit type tradespeople that I've met anywhere. And it seems like when you talk to them, they will say, well, we don't understand what goes on either. And you go back, and it's overwhelmingly red. I mean, the entire maritime uh, part of the country, for the most part, is almost entirely liberal. And I I don't know, do they lose their mind when they go back to... Well, they just voted, uh, New Brunswickers just voted for a progressive conservative government and a majority at that. But no, I I tend to agree with you. They they seem to lean liberal more and more, which is disappointing because there's a lot of seats out there. You know, I think we got to bring back that strong entrepreneurial spirit, I think, not only amongst a handful of families, but amongst the majority. And uh, that's going to take some time and work. But i got to run. Thank you for your call, Guy. Thank appreciate you. that. Yeah, great, great question. All right, my friends, that's it for me on this Tuesday. I hope you have enjoyed the show. Guess what? We get to do it again tomorrow. So we'll see you then on the midweek edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program. Lots more going on on Saga 960, so stick around for that. Bye-bye for now. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960am.ca.